Hi everyone, I'm Sky Ross and this is Motherness, a podcast dedicated to sharing mindful and empowering interviews with mothers and experts. Together, we're shining a light on the realness of raising babies and life postpartum, from the first moments to the months following and the years beyond. Motherness serves to hold space for mothers in all their glory, to inform you, to include you, to empower you and to connect you. And despite our different experiences, opinions and approaches, as mothers who love, we are grounded in this together. Welcome to part two of my conversation with International Board Certified Lactation Consultant, Kathy McCormick of Holistic Baby. If you haven't listened to the first half yet, I highly recommend going back and listening to that episode first before starting this one. In this second half, we talk about nipple pain, and Kathy gives a great analogy for what's normal and also guides us on when you should ask for help from your midwife or a lactation consultant. Kathy gives insightful advice for partners in supporting a mother who's breastfeeding, and she talks about tongue ties, including what can be done if it's affecting your feeding, or whether or not you should even cut one if it's not in fact causing any issues. We also go into talking about spilly babies, tips for introducing a bottle, her thoughts on pumps, and advice she has for mothers embarking or who are in the fourth trimester. I hope you enjoy. In terms of nipple tenderness, big topic. Again, one of those things that people have completely different advice on. A midwife said to me, I'll never forget it, being up in birth care, I said, she was like, how are your nipples feeling? And I said, oh, you know, they feel a little bit tender, but it's not like painful. And she was like, look, you've never had essentially this really intense vacuum on your nipples before. So some tenderness is normal. But then I think I took that and I ran with that for maybe about a week to 10 days to the Mm. point where I was in tears latching my baby on. I had to get my partner to basically like coach me and tell me I was okay and then I ended up getting a referral but I think I took that oh a little bit of pain is is normal and is okay and I went well I just have to battle on through push on through and you hear people saying it gets better after three weeks but for me it got to yeah like it was excruciating I've never had pain like that ever um so what what is normal what are we at what point do we need to stick our hand up and ask for help so what I what I normally say to women, and I mean, look, I still remember nipple pain feeding my babies. You know, I'm a midwife. I, you know, I was a midwife when I had my kids. My oldest is 23 now, and I still remember the nipple pain in the three o'clock morning, just crying. You know, yeah. One side was fine, and what I realised with the one side that was fine is I actually let the baby get on. Yeah. And then I just realised I had to let the baby get on the other side because I was trying to control it too much, and that's what fixed my problem. Mm-hmm. But I still remember often say. How I describe it to dads often, it's like, okay, imagine you bought a new pair of shoes, you know? Most people are going to get a bit of a sore foot from them because that's just what happens. And But what happens is you wear it a few days, it actually gets more comfy. So for most women, I say to them, look, it's going to feel quite sensitive for a couple of days as you get used to it. And also when the milk comes in, your breasts get really sensitive anyway. Mm. You know, your areola swells, your nipple swells, there's a lot more blood supply, but you shouldn't be getting trauma. Yeah. Okay. So you're wearing those new shoes. So, Dad, you've worn the shoes now for two, three days, and we've got a blister. Okay. And I'm going to tell you to put those new shoes on every two to three hours and wear them for an hour. Don't don't moan about it. <laughs> Just get on and wear the new shoes. Okay. And so that's what happens, you know, sometimes to a mum. And we keep saying, keep going, you know, it's normal and stuff. 
And I kind of go, it is normal, but it could just be that the milk supplies come in, the breasts have got really tight. So if we, you know, we get in the shower, we get massaging the milk through a bit more, we get baby having a deeper latch, like doing a bit of lean back. Often it will go away after a couple of days, the baby gets a deeper latch, the blister goes away. Great. Okay. But then what happens is we don't get a deeper latch, you don't get some good advice. Now, Dad, you're wearing those shoes, the blisters burst, and now it's bleeding and getting sometimes even infected. I mean, the good thing about breast milk, it contains lots of antibacterial properties in there to help most women, you know, not get um, the infections in those cracks on their nipples. But it's also not fun. No, it's you know, so that hell. when you get to that point, yeah, well, I, I mean, I often say to girls, like, once we hit two weeks of a crack nipple and we've tried everything to heal it, that's when I would normally take a swab and just check out, you know, is, the, is there some bacterial content here? Do we need to add some antibacterial creams to these nipples? Because mm-hmm. sometimes we do. You know, breast milk's great, but sometimes we do. Um, and that's what I'd normally say to girls, you know, a blister sometimes will happen, but once we fix the latch, it should go away. Yeah. You know, bleeding and crack nipples is not fun. You know, get some help. Don't put up with it. Actually get some help. And again, you know, my approach is, you know, sometimes I go, girls, okay, what are we going to do about this? You've got a mum who's had a normal birth. She's really happy with her birth. She's got a bit of a crack nipple. We can probably soldier on for a couple of days and it will probably heal because she's actually not started on the back foot from birth. But you've got a mum who's maybe, you know, had a difficult labour, her stitches are sore or she's had a caesarean. You've got a baby that's screaming because it's not getting enough milk. Sometimes, you know, mums need a break. And that's when sometimes I would bring in a little bit of pumping sometimes and teach them sometimes how to give a cup feed just to rest the nipples. Because sometimes you rest them and they heal and then the mum goes, okay, I'm ready to go back to breastfeeding. Yeah. You know, and that's where I think I get such a big success rate is because I say to mums, what's going to work for you? Yeah. You know, sometimes we feed off one side and we pump the other. The next feed, we feed off the other one, we pump the other one. Or sometimes we might even add a nipple shield. You know, as long as the nipple shield isn't making the problem worse. So some people think just put a nipple shield on and it's going to fix the problem. But if a baby's got a bad latch, it's going to have a bad latch on a nipple shield and it can actually damage the nipples even more. So if you're going to use a nipple shield, you really need to see a midwife lactation on it and make sure you've got the right size of nipple shield. The other thing with a cracked nipple that I often say to girls is, you know, breast milk is really healing. So or moist wound healing. I don't know if you ever use, you know, like you get the um, the gel pads you can put on your nipples or using a bit of nipple cream. Yeah, I use both. That can be quite, yeah, that can be quite helpful. But also there's something called, my, my one of my big faves is the breast shells. Do you know what a breast shell is? Yes, yep, I do. So it's, yep, so it's the two little cups that kind of join together and there is a hole in the middle and you put that against your, in your bra or top and so that the nipple isn't rubbing on anything. And it gets you know a lot of air circulating, but often also your milk kind of drips a bit into that shell, and it also you know gives it those antibacterial properties. But I would normally say you know if a mum's still got a cracked nipple by two, definitely by three weeks, you need to be seeing someone because that can also lead to you know blocked arcs, mastitis. You know you've got those bacteria tracking up there, and it's just not fun. Yeah, absolutely. You know. <laughs> No, it's not fun. I mean, I had my own little routine. Once I had seen the lactation consultant and we'd got the latch working, yeah. there was still some healing to do. So I had like this great routine yeah. of after she'd fed, squirt a little bit of breast milk on, make sure it was all yeah. over, get the um, the lancino cream or whatever cream I was using. I think I, was there one called silver something? 
like that. Um, yep. So we'll, yep. Yep. Use that and then pop a cold yep. hydrogel pad from the fridge on my nipples yes. and go have a nap. And yep. that, that yep. helps everything. And I think sleep's a big one as oh, well. Totally. You know, once you've done the feed, you need to be lying down. You know, then I just can't say that enough. Look, girls, the baby's not going to notice the floor's not vacuumed or the washing's not done, but that's when it's looking at who's around to support you, you know, that you can just go and lie down. Totally. Mm. Speaking of support, um, I was speaking to my partner before um, we jumped on the call and I just said to him, you know, what do you think of these questions? Is there anything else you'd like to ask? Because I really feel like he was so on the journey of breastfeeding with me and he still is. Mm. Um, but what is your advice for partners in terms of how they can best support mums when they are learning to breastfeed? I think, I think you know, for a lot of um, a lot of partners, and I was talking to a, a mum today because, you know, she's got a bit of a struggle, the baby's screaming a lot, and the dad is just, oh, for goodness sake, give this baby a bottle. And I said, look, the thing about the dad is he's doing such a great job, but he's stressed. He sees, you know, that you're crying, that the baby's screaming, <laughs> and his, he just wants to fix it. Yeah. And that's a great partner. That is great support. They want to fix it. They don't, they've never been in these things where, you know, that, you know, they can't fix it for you, you know, and it's just such an instant fix. But for mothers, they're like, no, I want to do this, which is great. And that's often what gets you through, you know, that determination yeah. that I'm going to get through this and I'm going to keep breastfeeding. And so I just sort of say, you know, often I just say to dads, you know, if you can just pick up the slack on other things, and all mothers need to know is they're doing a great job, even if they're sitting there crying with cracked nipples, even if they're saying they don't like it, but they're not going to give up, is that you've got their back, yeah. you know, and that, that you're going to walk that road with them, yeah. you know, and they might get mastitis and, you know, and you'll be like, oh, for God's sake, give up. You've been so miserable. You could have been in hospital on IV antibiotics. I mean, I've had cases like this, and she wants to keep going. That All she wants you to do is say, yep, okay, let's do this together. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I'll make sure you get fed well so that you heal better. I'll make sure I take the baby once it's fed so you can go and have a nap. Because often with the support, you will get through it. Yeah, absolutely. And when she asks you know, for a glass yeah. of water, bring it for her. <laughs> oh, because she's really <laughs> She is so well often, I say to, well, often what I say in my classes to dads, I do a bit of a funny scenario. So what I get the mums to do is put the baby on the breast and then the dad, you know, you sit down near her or something. So they're in class. And then I say, oh, hang on a minute. Guys, can you all stand up? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, she's thirsty. Can you get her a drink of water? <laughs> they go, oh, yeah, yeah. And they sit back down and they go, oh, guys, can you stand up again? She just needs the cloth over there. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Sit back down. Oh, guys, can you stand up? <laughs> she's hungry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're like, how long does this go on for? I'm like, this is only one thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I say to them, you know, get her a table, get her a drink, get her a cloth, get her the nipple cream, get her everything she needs so that you can actually sit down because she's going to need you in half an hour to do the nappy or whatever. Yeah. You know, but they can't, women can't help it. You know, that's just what happens when they're feeding. Yeah. You know, and I guess the other thing their job is, you know, I often say to them, they are, you know, if there's other people around, because often mums also get very stressed feeding in front of people, especially in the first couple of weeks. So the job is a little bit like, you know, showing the people away that if you know the baby's due to be fed, you actually want to get the baby fed before it starts screaming. So if there's visitors in the house or, you know, sometimes having another place in the house that she can go and feed, like the bedroom, you've got an extra chair or wherever she's feeding, that you just kind of go, okay, got to take the baby now. Come on, mum, time for a feed. 
you know, because she for, often for mothers they can't say that. Yep. You know, they just sit there going, no, 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 not time for a feed because they know that they don't want to feed in front of people, especially if they're having trouble. So that's kind of the job of the partner is just saying, come on, no, time for a feed, let's go somewhere private. You don't need to feed in front of all these people or, you know, we're out at a cafe or we're out, you know, having lunch and baby needs a feed that you find somewhere private for her to go. Absolutely. Because no, most mothers will get stressed. So you're kind of her stress, her stress gauge in a way, just keeping everything really simple so she can stay nice and relaxed. Yeah, cool. Um, so let's quickly talk. We've kind of touched on tongue ties a little bit. And again, like everything to do to do with breastfeeding and just motherhood in general, very controversial. Um, I just want to kind of get an idea from you in terms of how – I know from my experience, but for anybody listening, what how are tongue ties diagnosed? And then also, if there are no feeding problems, a mother, the baby is gaining weight, the baby is settled, the mother um, feels like the latch is fine, you know, everything in terms of the criteria that we look for is going fine, but there is a tongue tie, should it be cut or should you just not, the problem isn't broken, don't try to fix it? Well, again, so I my history of tongue tie is I um, have actually done the tongue tie training of how to release tongue ties, and I actually decided to step away. I do very few tongue tie assessments now. Mm-hmm. I actually do more mother baby relationship assessments and really looking at how they're latching, how big the baby is. And I've actually had more success doing that. I know there is quite a lot of research coming through that says actually the biggest impact on tongue tie is the support the mum gets, yeah. rather than you know doing quick fixes. I have seen some very successful tongue tie releases as well on saying that. I do get a bit dismayed sometimes when I am working as a midwife and I have people say, oh, look, the baby's got a tongue tie and the baby's only a couple of hours old. And I go, no, 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 that's a frenulin. Yeah, yeah, that's the anatomy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, and I am a bit more like, well, let's look at the whole picture like you. I'll often use different positions, especially laid back stuff, getting a deeper latch. Um, again, you know, the size of a mum's breast, the size of a mum's nipple, the size of the baby's mouth will all have different impacts if there's a tongue tie. Um, and a, and a great case for me was many, many years ago, I actually, this mum's gone on to have three babies that I've actually looked after. I do a lot of postnatal care, so I've looked after this mum three times. Um, and her first baby had a frenulin, so a piece of skin under the tongue that went right to the tip of the tongue. This mum had everything you would expect would cause problems. She had smallish breast, quite flat, inverted nipples loads and loads of milk so her breasts were quite tight and you had a baby with a um a frenulin right to the tip of its tongue so I gave her the info she went off to the GP um she never had any issues with feeding she never got sore breasts her baby did not lose any weight she never got mastitis and she chose not to get her tongue tie release on that baby I went back for that second baby and I think the first one I recall had actually broken the frenulin under its tongue because it fell off a little trike or bike when it was in a toddler stage. So its tongue tie was actually gone. Um, but her second baby had a tongue tie and she fed that baby and so did her third. And she never had any problems feeding. So I think you do have to look at the whole picture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Albie was obviously, like I said, I mean, I was told that it was a mild tongue tie. The lactation consultant said to me, look, I think we can solve this by you know a change in position and other things like that I also was the same I have small breasts my nipples at the time now after a year of feeding are no longer slightly inverted but um (laughs) anybody listening who's in the early stages you'll get to know that um (laughs) but I also had oversupply so my my breasts were incredibly tight and the tip I was given was change the position for the layback hold don't control it as much and also she gave me this fantastic tip of 
kind of gather, I'm trying to describe it, but essentially like clawing my fingers together and pressing down on the areola to release that, um, a bit of like milk around. That's called reverse, that's called reverse pressure. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So that's what I did. Yes. And, um, that works really well. Relaxing the areola. Yeah. And pushing back into the breast. Yeah. So she had a little bit more given the breast to, you know, really get that nipple nice and deep in her mouth. And it was incredible. And my initial instinct was not to um, have it cut. And I know that, you know, like you say, there definitely are circumstances for it, but it seems to me just from what I see is that almost every baby is, you know, is diagnosed with a tongue tie and then there's also lip ties, but we're not going to get it too much into it because I think that it's a huge mm. topic, but I think it's I, great to hear from just you. Just touching on that, yeah. I think, t- I think just to touch on that though, like I've, in this group I was running today, there was a couple of babies there that were all so tight, these babies. Like holding them, the babies were stiff. You know, one of them had a stiff neck on one side called a torticollis. Um, it couldn't turn its head from one side to the other, which meant it couldn't open its mouth very wide. The had a poor latch. The mum had a slightly, you know, difficulties with this baby removing milk. And often that's why we talk about, I would say, look, you've got to start massaging your baby for a start. I just sit there and massage the baby in your arms and then suggested an osteopath. So that, again, the osteopaths, um, and chiropractors have got quite involved in latching and tongue ties. So if they're, tighten their heads it's very difficult to open your mouth wide yeah of course and then it's difficult to move your tongue properly so that's another thing you know that if you are kind of weighing up have my baby got a tongue tie i would go and get someone to first look at your baby and really feel your baby yeah yeah that's a great chance and so you know yeah it's osteopath or you know or a chiropractor because they do wonders on some of the babies yeah cool and helping them you know get deeper latches um let's talk about spilly babies really quickly there's a little video that when i first discovered your instagram i saw you talking about oh. quite a while back now but um that little baby roman oh I, I think it was just you talking to the camera and you said you had a mum oh was yeah you said um like i've had a mum ask me today baby spilly um but can it still be hungry yeah. afterwards and you were like yep babies spill and babies are still hungry i had a happy spiller she wasn't yes. spilly until about seven weeks and then randomly she just started mm. spilling but it was not a big deal when is spilling a concern what does it mean and does it mean that you've overfed your baby or can they still be hungry afterwards I mean, the main thing about spilling is, again, I mean, very few babies have what we call medical reflux. So medical reflux is when they are spilling, but it's burning and they're screaming and they're not gaining weight. Mm -hmm. So most babies are spilling because the little door in their stomach, just like when you're pregnant, your little door in your stomach gets soft and the uterus is pushing it up. So most babies get something called heartburn. So most mums get heartburn in pregnancy. And that's what babies are getting when, when you do the feed. So babies are getting lots of volumes, often quite quick and the little door in their stomach is soft, so if they get a bit of gas in there or their tummy's a bit overextended, that little door's going to open up and they're going to do a bit of a spill. And most babies go, oh, that feels better. I've made a bit of room. Can I eat again? Yeah. And that's why they want to eat again because, you know, then they get that nice fatty, creamy stuff at the end. That's when you're getting lots of volumes of milk. And so little, little, I often say to mums, but little tips are, would you lie flat after eating a big meal? Probably not because you would feel uncomfortable. So most babies want to be held upright. Um, after a meal, if your babies are spilling and it's when you're changing their nappies, so again, you know, you have a big meal, you lie flat, you're going to tip this baby upside down as you're lifting its bottom. Sometimes just putting a small towel under their shoulders and on the under their head will keep their head above their bottom. So when you change their nappy, they, you know, they're staying sort of in a slightly angled position. That will often help with spilling if you find they spill. 
when you're changing the nappy. But spilling is not normally an issue. Most babies have a bit of a spill. Yeah. If it's a bit projectile, it's often that they've got a bit of wind behind it. If they're having a bit of a gassy day, you know, and they do a bit of a burp, it can be a bit projectile. Um, but it's not normally a problem. If they're projectiling all the time, again, you've got often those weight gain issues or there's something else going you know, wrong on that you tell your GP or your midwife. But most babies just spill and they're happy. Yeah. Just like you said, you know. Okay, great. Kind of normal baby stuff. Yeah, totally. Messy, but normal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Have lots of muslins on hand for things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I've had a lot of questions from people about recommendations from you in terms of introducing a bottle. Um, I think for me, because I work for myself, I did kind of want the option. So we chose to introduce a bottle, I think when Albie was about six or seven weeks old, just to see if she'd take it. Yep. Um, but what are your tips in terms of when is a good time to introduce a bottle so that baby gets used to it? And what are your tips around ensuring that they do take it? I often just say to mums, you know, first, like often mums ask me, you know, can I give baby a bottle? And I'm like, look, it's not my job to say you can or can't. It's about why do you want to give a bottle? So if it's sore nipples, let's fix the nipples. You know, if it's because you want a break, lots of modern women want a break. You know, and it's a very intense job having a new baby. So, you know, it could just be that you want to go and have a nap but not be woken up. Um, so, again, we often, you know, as a lactation consultant, we kind of want breastfeeding getting established. And that's why we kind of talk about no dummies or bottles for at least that first four to six weeks so that the baby learns how to breastfeed really, really well. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then you've got to look at, well, if you're going to give a bottle more than you're going to breastfeed, often a baby will like the bottle because it's a bit more efficient. So... If you just want to give a bottle for a break, um, you know, some babies will take anything and they don't really care. They switch really easily. Um, but some babies, like you say, you know, they suddenly don't want to take a bottle at all. So if, if mums do want to learn how to give a baby a bottle, I often teach them around that four to six weeks when I'm doing their discharge with them. And I teach them, like there's some really easy videos to watch online. Um, the one I particularly like is, it's called sort of possum pace bottle feeding. It's an Australian um, video. And they just teach you how to give a breastfed baby a bottle so that it kind of learns the same latch and it actually paces the feed so that it's not just gulping it down. Um, and I often say that, you know, that because a lot of mums want the father to or partner to give the bottle. So I just sort of say to them, look, you could around – you know, four to six weeks, as long as feeding's going well, you normally do a baby bath at some point in the day or in the evenings. You could just offer baby 20 mils after after a bath. They're often really relaxed. And 20 mils isn't going to really interfere with your milk supply. Yeah. Okay, so some mums really want to go, oh, I want to give a bottle as a last feed at night, or I want to get someone to give a bottle in the middle of the night. And I'm sort of like, well, okay, if you're giving a bottle, what's happening to the milk in your breasts? And they're like, ah. Oh, so I can't just sleep eight hours. I'm like, well, no, because what will happen is you'll either get blocked axomastitis or your body will say you don't need to produce as much milk. So just if you're giving bottles, you've got to work out why you want to give it and how often you want to give it. So if it is something important to you, sometimes just after a bath every day, just giving them 20, 30 mils in a bottle will just keep them used to that suck. But if you do want to go out to dinner or have a break from the baby as the baby gets older, it will know how to take a bottle. And for some mums, you know, if you're going back to work and you want to keep breastfeeding, you know, we do need to teach you how to actually express and how to give that baby a bottle because that's what will make you feel confident that you can breastfeed in the weekends, you can breastfeed at night, 
but when you're away from the baby that you can keep your milk supply going. Yeah, and I guess it's as well that if you do introduce a bottle or, you, you know, if you want to maintain your milk supply, you've got to pump on the other end yeah. to make sure that you're um, yeah. up that feed. Yeah, you've got to pick up that feed, but also you, you've got to you've got to work out that you're not going to ruin the breastfeeding, yep. if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a fine line, isn't it? Yeah, it's a fine line. Yeah, and just working out with your baby, and so start small and kind of build on it, maybe. You know, try it and and work out you know how important it is for you. So for some people, it is really important that the baby has a bottle, and what happens is they don't give one, and then they give one, and then they don't give one for ages, and then suddenly they really want to give a bottle, and the baby's three, four months old, and they completely refuse yeah um because they like because they like breastfeeding so much which is very good for the baby <laughs> we always kind of chuckle when these when these babies are like i don't want a bottle i just want to breastfeed i have heard some yeah. women talk about leaving the room is there any evidence or anecdotally or you know in your experience to suggest that if mum does leave the room baby might be more inclined to take the bottle from say dad or someone else uh, i mean I think it's like trying to tell a baby it'll settle when it's still hungry. You know, if you leave the room, the baby's going to settle and it's not, and it's going to say it's not hungry. I think it's like the bottle, you know, like it might work, it might not. Babies are pretty clever creatures. I think what probably happens when a mother leaves the room is she doesn't get so upset because often babies fuss. Yeah. You know, the baby's fussing and your breasts are talking to the baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Saying, <laughs> yeah, I know you don't want that bottle. And I've got milk. Yeah, I used to, like, honestly, I still for months, every time Albie squawked or another baby squawked, I would just, I've always had a really intense letdown and I would just feel that letdown and it just like, it gets you, it gets you so good. But that's what it's designed for. That's nature, isn't it? It's pretty amazing. Well, that's what we, we talk about that umbilical cord kind of not being severed. Yeah, I love that. that. You know, and, and, and it's kind of, yeah, so look, I'm just those things. I think they we're hopeful that those things will work. We leave the room, the baby will go to sleep. We leave the room, the baby will take the bottle. But babies are a little bit more clever than that, I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think they'll 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 give in if you push them hard enough. Yeah, you know, but sometimes they're you know, I mean, my youngest, I used to pump because I went back to work, probably teaching classes when she was about three months, and I used to stress and I used to pump all this milk. She never took a drop. She'd wait mm-hmm. until I got home. So she'd have all this milk available and she'd just wait. Yeah. And as soon as I got home, she would custom feed all night and be so happy to see me. Yeah, I bet. And you were so overjoyed <laughs> to be staying up through the night as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're funny yeah. little but, things. You know, but they? I kind of, I look, I, you, often as your children get older, you know, for all you mums out there breastfeeding and stuff, it's hard when you're in it sometimes. But sometimes it'll be some of the memories that you remember. You know, how hard you worked for them, you know, that you stuck at it, whether you stuck at it for three days and gave up, whether you just gave them colostrum, whether you, you know, stuck at it for two years, you're the only one who can give yourself the medal, you know, and it's what, you know, what you do is enough. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you've done those things, no matter how much time, if you have, if your baby has breastfed, you have breastfed. And I love that concept. Yes. yeah, I'm still breastfeeding my yeah. baby at one year, but if a mother breastfed her baby for three days, we've both breastfed. Yeah, you're both breastfed. Whether you breastfeed every day or you might only breed twice a day and give other things other times, you're still actually breastfeeding. You know, and it's actually your experience. And I think that's what mothers need to realize is actually, you know, they are great. You know, there's so much going on when you're a mum. 
so much going on. Yeah, absolutely. I just have two last questions for you. We're almost there. Do you have products that you can recommend for breastfeeding mums? Things that you like, maybe um, are you a fan like of any particular pump? Do you like manual pumps? Um, yeah, any anything that you think makes the breastfeeding journey easier? I mean, I'm a bit of a, probably a bit of an old school now. I kind of say to mums, okay, well, let's look around your house and see what we can use. <laughs> you know, like suddenly you, you turn up, you know, and you need to do a bit of hand expressing because the baby needs a bit of a top up and all we've got is a teaspoon and a shot glass. Right, let's use that. <laughs> right, Dad, go and get those clean for me. And often it's a temporary measure because we sort out the feeding very quickly. So, you know, they don't cost you anything. If I'm looking at breast pumps, um, I often say to people, okay, first, what do you want the breast pump for? You know, if you're going back to work and you're going to have to pump eight times a day, you want a double pumper that's really efficient because otherwise you're not going to do it because it's going to take too much time. So, I mean, I've always been a bit of a fan of the medulla pumps because that's what I've always had experience through with the hospital. I've always used those myself. And I also find that if people are buying parts in the hospital, it's often for medulla pumps. And so if you buy a medulla pump, then you've already got the parts because often people don't realize when you buy a pump, you've actually got to buy extra bits for it. So that's what I've always been a bit of a fan of. Um, but obviously now there's lots and lots of um, products on the market going to have more babies you want to and you want to get an electric pump buy something that's going to last so if you're going to have another baby you want to use the same pump you know because sometimes you buy something cheap and it breaks and then you got to spend more money and they can be quite an investment up front can't no. they yeah i mean there's obviously the new sort of harker pumps they've become very fashionable and i kind of like them and sometimes i don't again it depends on the woman i've got a woman who puts a harker on and all it does is actually cause a lot of swelling on her areola and her nipples get very sore from them. So that may be not be the right pump for her. Um, again, you know, get someone to look and advise you. You've got a woman on an electric pump. She's got so much milk in there, not a drop comes out because she feels like a cow in the milk and shed because of the pump noise. That's not going to work. She may get more milk from hand expressing, you know, because it's all about that milk ejection, letting the letdown reflex happen, that connection between you and the baby. You know, and that's what we're trying to imitate with the pump. And I guess the other thing with pumps, you know, I get lots of women who are just pumping. And I'm like, why are you pumping? I had a girl the other day and we've got fast flow, a baby who's throwing up all, you know, a lot. And then I said, oh, does anyone want a cup of tea? And she said, oh, yeah, I'll have a drink. I'll have a cup of breastfeeding tea. And it turns out she was pumping three or four times a day because she was worried about milk supply in the first two weeks. But her baby now was quite old. And she was drinking lots of breastfeeding tea because she thought it was good for the wind. I said, no, no, you're not having breastfeeding tea and we're going to wean off the pumping because <laughs> she's got so much milk. And that comes with its own set of challenges you know? sometimes, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, and then, now she's got all those other challenges. She's got a baby that's throwing up. It's really gassy. But I said, because you're actually trying to feed twins. <laughs> the baby doesn't need that much. Oh. So, you know, so you've got to make sure you've got, you know, again, with the, with the advice, make sure you've got good advice about why do you want to pump? How often do you want to pump? How much can you afford? You know, and then, you know, it's, you're, just and talk to your friends again about what sort of pumps they've used and what they've found quite useful. Okay, fantastic. So my last question for you is about the fourth trimester. This first season of motherness is all about the fourth trimester. So I would just love to know from you, what does the fourth trimester mean to you as a mum, a lactation consultant, a midwife? And what advice do you have for mothers about the fourth trimester? I always say to mums about the fourth trimester, 
as much as you want to teach your babies to breastfeed, as much as you want to teach your babies to sleep and settle, my best advice I can give you is actually bring your babies in. Let them in. You know, let them into your energy field, let them into your arms, let them into your heart, and often all those other things will come right. You know, if they want to snuggle on you, let them in. You know, if they if they want to fall asleep on the breast, let them do it. Because if you let them in, you actually learn to read them a lot quicker rather than trying to control them. And, you know, every time your baby's looking at you, look back at them. You know, every time they're crying, actually observe them. Observe when they're crying, look at what their body's doing. And then often if you just bring them onto you, they'll stop crying. You know, when they're feeding and they're looking at you, look back at them. So I think, you know, that's my advice is actually just let them in in those first three months. And often you get to read them a lot quicker and all your problems slowly go away mm. with time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Motherness. For more empowering interviews like this one, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review so more listeners can discover all that motherness has to offer. We are at motherness.podcast on Instagram and our DMs are always open if you need advice or would like to chat. I'm Sky Ross and you've been listening to Motherness. Motherness.